0: Go ahead and have a seat, man. I missed that music. Missed it. In case you're new to uh, Crossroads, in the last uh, six weeks, I actually work around here. I've <laughs> been away for a while, and uh, since I've been away for a while, I have all these stories that I've accumulated, that I'm trying to like conserve them and not use them all in the same way. But I have to tell you this one. I went to my 25th class reunion. Scary. Ooh, man. Yeah. Very, 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 very scary. With few exceptions. The people who were the dweebs are making tons of jack right now, and everyone wants to be around them. The ones that were hot aren't hot. (laughs) And uh, it was interesting. Some people just kind of looked exactly the way they've always looked. Other people were different and all that stuff. But one thing I noticed while I was with them, I still, 25 years later, have a heart For the people I went to high school with and used to party with or used to play football with or used to, you know, be checked into lockers by or check into the lockers, there was still this connection. And for me, it goes back to an early vision that I felt that I had from God, we're talking about this today, of just being in a place where my normal friends who didn't know God could be in an environment to know God. That's just what I wanted. That's how, what I want to be about, you know, a huge way. in uh, as a junior in high school, and that went on and caught me, caused me to be involved in student ministry and then caused me to be involved with adults because my friends were now adults, not students, and caused me to be involved in starting the church. And that's what happens when you have a vision, when God puts something inside of you to do something. And it doesn't have to be something big and public, but when there's something that God puts in you, it just won't leave you. It just it just nags at you. And this happens in the book of Nehemiah with Nehemiah, a vision that he has. As we saw in that video, the walls of Jerusalem are sort of the national heritage uh, for Israel. It makes them feel strong, it makes them feel secure. And Nehemiah hears that the walls are down, and he just doesn't understand this at all. This makes this makes no sense to him. This would be like an American just finding out 40 years later that the White House is down. What, what do you mean well, The White House is down. Why would the White House be down. That, that, that makes no sense. It says this in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 1. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. When he hears about this, he has an emotional, visceral reaction. Uh, emotion, emotion triggers vision. When you find that you have emotions welling up inside of you, that's because it's tied to a vision. It's tied to something God wants you to. To be about. And a lot of us in here, we are very like boohoo emotional, like way out there. Loves in here are like our, our emotional bandwidth is different. We can't remember the last time we cried. But for you, whatever is emotional for you, when there's something God wants you to be involved with, you just get emotional about it in some way, shape, or form. I have a friend of mine who talks about this as your holy discontent. I remember driving to church. When I was a little kid, my parents would drag me there. And I would have a holy discontent coming back from church because I would think I would never bring any of my friends to this place. This is ridiculous that God cares about my friends, and yet I could never bring them to this place because there's all kinds of assumptions that they wouldn't have, all kinds of knowledge they wouldn't have, all kinds of music they don't care about. It I just made me angry. It would, it would, it would bubble up inside me. It a, it's a holy discontent. Steve Jobs has a holy discontent when it relates to IT being fuddy duddy. I mean, how many of us have anything Apple oriented? An iPod, an Apple thing? Yeah, so, you know, Apple folks are just hardcore. I'm like half and half. I've got the iPod thing going, but I'm PC. Well, the interesting thing is when you get anything from Apple, like unwrapping it is a spiritual, religious, sexual experience. You know, it's, it really, am, am I right? Am I right? I mean, I mean the, 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 the packaging of it is so beautiful. There's so much thought and creativity that's gone into it. And this traces back to the CEO, Steve Jobs, who is anal and emotional about technology. It's, it's, it's a passion of his. And so he doesn't want it just to be functional and add up numbers. He wants it to be a different experience. And it ties into that, to that vision. I don't know what your vision is. Maybe your vision, your vision is you get really excited and passionate about being sexually pure for the person that you're going to give yourself to forever. And this goes beyond morality for you. It's a vision that you get emotional about. In fact, as I talk about it right now, you're like, yeah, yeah. Not like, yeah, I'm going to have that someday. But yes, I do feel important about that. I remember when I had kids, a lot of us, we have no vision when we have kids. Our vision is... I'm not happy, so maybe I should have kids. That's about the, the, the thoughtfulness that many people have kids. For, for Libby and I, uh, I, I realized that doing student ministry was very, very frustrating because I would build into and develop these, these students. And just when they would start to get mat- uh, mature, they would graduate high school and go away, and I'd never see them again. And it just got really aggravating to me. And I, I remember praying with God. I got, would get very uh, emotional about it. For me, if you'll give us kids... That we can build into for the rest of our life to build them to be the kind of people you want to be we would love that task it was a vision to have kids about discipling and building into kids forever not just a four-year one i don't know what it is for you but if there's something, there should be something that when it's talked about, you your, your foot starts to go a little bit. You, you just start to feel it. This is because it's a vision that God, that God has for you. And it doesn't have to be some publicly big thing that everyone's going to know about, but you know about. You just get fired up about it. And when this happens, God organizes your life in ways that you and I could never plan to set us up in a position to make a difference. Nehemiah. When he hears about this, he's got a job. Uh, he's a, got a job in the foreign king's court who's overseeing uh, his nation and his job is the cupbearer. He would pour the wine and make sure the the king was getting, you know, all the drink that he wanted to, to have, and maybe something happened while he was a cupbearer that's similar to what happens with drinking buddies in today's context. There's sort of a a bond that, that that forms, not altogether healthy, but maybe a bond. Maybe there's some bond that he has by providing the drink to the king, and as a result of that, he's got a relationship. And as he's moved, as he's moved, the king notices that he's just a little down in the dumps one day. And look what happens as Nehemiah interacts with this holder of resources. Uh, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. And he says this, I said to him, If it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to, to, to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. He's in a position to receive favor, and he makes an ask. Would you give me letters to make sure as I go to be about this vision that I don't get killed? And if you could pay for it all, that'd be great too. (laughs) If you could give me your letters that say, I can chop down any trees that I want, take advantage of the natural resources that you are actually yours, king, that would be awesome. Vision demands God's provision. When you have a vision... It isn't something that you can just get by going to four years of school. It's not something you can get by pulling yourself up by the bootstraps. God has to do things in your life that you couldn't do or you couldn't orchestrate. Maybe, maybe God does this because when it actually starts to happen, however long in the future it is, our work ethic doesn't get the credit. God gets the credit. God gets the glory. God gets the affirmation. That's when it's really a vision. When God gets the credit and affirmation as opposed to us and our smarts. That's just an individualistic endeavor that we're trying to put another notch on our belt. But when there's something that God sets us up for, there's, a, there, there, there's, there's an amplification of people knowing who God is because that could never happen if it wasn't God. And you think... Nehemiah, man, this is beautiful. Some of us are going, gosh, this would be great, man. I I wish something struck me and I cried. I I wish I knew a king and I went to him and he just gave me all the resource I needed. It sounds like these God vision things are like downhill rides where everything goes right. No, 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 it doesn't work that way at all. Nehemiah goes and he starts organizing people, gets gets people organized, gets them ready for this. And immediately he starts to get friction. Uh, Visions... Visions bring friction. Visions bring friction. They, they, they bring a pushback from people. See, the, the walls are sort of like this. It's, it's, just, it's just pushed down. The walls are down. And people, as a result of, of living this way, they had just sort of learned to live with the rubble and just walk over it and get over it. I mean, are you like that? Don't you have like certain things in your house that are really a wreck and you just become blind to it? Until somebody new comes over the house, you go, oh man, that's really bad, that's really awful. This is what many visions are like. Many visions notice that something is wrong, notice that something is down, and we bring fresh perspective and want to speak to that. I mean, I know if you came over to my house and spent a week with us, our vision to develop our kids, you would see stupid things I'm doing as a dad. Stupid things that I'm just used to doing them. But you have a clear perspective and you would be able to speak to that. I've been away for six weeks or so. One of the blessings of it is when I come back, I try to stay, even though I'm in Cincinnati some of the time, and I'm in communicating email and talk with people, I'm not completely unplugged the whole time, but I try to stay away from the physical property until the last final day that I'm supposed to come in. And when I do, without fail, there's things that I see that I have to speak to. And like people hate when I come back the first few days because I'm like, hey, is this, what is this? Why is this what, and it's the same thing that happens if you came over to my house. You would see things because visions have fresh eyes. There's a clarity to it. The people of Israel, they they didn't even notice the wall was down any longer. That's just what they had known for a few decades. People don't like it. The Israelites are not sure they like it. In fact, people from the outside don't like it. People start getting threatened when visions start getting communicated. Here's what it says in chapter 2, verse 9 to 10. When Samballot, uh, the, uh, the Horonite, You do not want to be a Horonite. Let me just say that right now. Nobody wants to be a Horonite. And don't call your mother that either. When Samba the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. They're disturbed. What what are you? You you do not promote the welfare of the Israelites. I'm disturbed. Don't like this at all. And then it goes on and says again. It says this. um, Uh, They mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you're doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We as servants will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. They start mocking, they start discouraging, and then they start spreading lies. They start saying, oh, the king, the king, if he really knew what you were doing, he wouldn't have given you those letters. Actually, we're gonna, we're gonna tell the king that you're actually here to try to lead a rebellion against him. They start spreading lies. This is what happens. Whenever you have a vision, it will come with friction. And if you don't have some level of friction in your life, you don't have a vision. I mean, if your vision is, which the ones I've talked about so far, if your vision, one of your visions is to remain sexually pure until you're married, get ready for friction. Not that kind of friction, but the kind of spiritual and emotional friction. People won't like it. There are things that you're not gonna be able to go and watch because it's gonna lead you to possibly stumble. People are gonna ridicule you. Have a vision to develop your kids to know God and not to fit in, and watch the friction you get from people. You're not letting them do that? Why aren't you letting them do that? How come you're not doing that? You, you will get friction. We're involved with a bunch of other folks, uh, other organizations, churches, individuals in our city to come against poverty. And one of the pr- primary things we're trying to do about that is the CityLink vision. Don't want to go into all that right now. People think that because there's friction, it shows that God isn't involved with it. Exactly the opposite. Exactly the opposite because it's new. It's something where the walls are down, something where a lot of us don't don't stomach the fact that we're the number three poorest city in poverty rate in the entire nation. And when you see that and you work against that, it brings friction because people don't like it. People misunderstand. Vision always brings friction. And this is one of the reasons why the, the, the 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 amount of time that Nehemiah just sits with this vision is very, very important. We see that actually, when he goes to to Israel and is walking around, he keeps this vision to himself. In chapter 2, verse 12, it says this I set out during the night with a few men. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. When you get a vision, what happens is you don't want to go public with it immediately because you have to think it through, you have to pray it through, you've got to make sure that it's actually God's idea versus your emotional fantasy. You've got to make sure that you think through all the different uh, levels of it, because you don't want somebody saying, hey, what about this? And you go, uh, I don't know. never thought about that before. You might not know everything the way it's supposed to turn out, but you need time to just keep it to yourself. Make sure it's something God feels as passionate about as you, and, and you have a, a, an ability to plan for it. Nehemiah doesn't just go in and say, here's my idea for the walls when I've never seen them. He keeps it to himself. He surveys the damage. He figures out where the holes are. He figures out what the labor's like. We're going to look at that next week, how you actually plan and put a vision into practice. And then finally, finally, and last point I'll make today, is that he finally goes public with it. And it's that vision demands communication. Now watch what he says here. I think this is just an awesome, awesome display of how to motivate and encourage people. He says this. In verse 17, chapter 2, then I said to them, "Uh, "You see the trouble we're in, don't you?" Actually, actually, no, we don't. Spell it out for us. Well, you see, see it. Look at it with fresh eyes. Jerusalem lies in ruins; its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be a disgrace. Meanwhile, I don't know the folks even knew they were a disgrace. I think they just learned to live with it. You know, that's when we all have problems, all of us have problems. I have my problems in my life, you have problems with your life, all, all of us do. And we tend to just overlook them and don't see them any longer and don't even realize that what's happening really is a disgrace. And somebody from the outside, hopefully a trusted friend or somebody who loves us, calls, calls out reality, not to put us down, but to hopefully build us up. It's, it's, a, it's a disgrace. This it's, it's, a, it's a bad reflection on us and God. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. He gives them the encouragement and says, man, I think that here's the solution and, and I just want to root this in who God is. Not in my leadership abilities, not in my ideas, but rooting it to God. One of the difficulties with a lot of us who think that we have visions is uh, we tend to be type A driven people and then we get all the glory and credit for when it happens when really it's a, a testimony of our own fortitude and planning and not necessarily a testimony of God. And when you start seeking God and going after God, you want to more and more notice what He's done that you could never do, the opportunities that we have that we wouldn't have had, the, the ability to do things that we couldn't have done without it being God, and constantly pin that back to them. I had one that happened to me recently, a bunch of them. I'm going to tell you this little story, uh, and I'll tell you before I tell you the story that um, at the end of the story, I don't want any coaching from anybody, all right? <laughs> I don't want any of your opinions. I don't, I don't want any of your reproofs. And you'll know what I talk about as I get into this, okay? A lot of people are doing that and trying to say, please, don't go to me or anyone else in my family and give me a piece of your mind and, and uh, have us live life the way you think we should live life. But one of the things that I enjoy doing what I did while I was away on my break as I, as I rode a motorcycle. And somebody, well, why do you do that? Well, that's just weird. Well, this is why right here. Uh, This, this shows all. That's exactly why I do it right there. Outside Jackson Hole, Wyoming. It's just beautiful. It's, it's just awesome. I just couldn't get better than that. When I, when I'm out riding, I feel like um, the High Plains drifter, Clint Eastwood, you know, just out there in the middle, go "Go ahead, make my day. I just feel like I'm, I'm lost on my own. And a lot of you have no idea what I'm talking about. That's okay. You know, that, that, that's just, One of the things I enjoy. So as we were out, uh, this one morning we got up and I was with uh, three other guys um, and we were cruising along and I was in the number three position. And I noticed during the morning that I was spending more time making sure the proper distances were being kept between myself and the bike ahead of me and I was in the right part of the lane and all that kind of stuff, than I was enjoying the scenery. I like getting lost in the road, not marking time between vehicles. And so after we stopped for breakfast, I decided to head out first and get out ahead of folks, which is normally totally appropriate biker protocol, so long as you don't take a turn before everybody else catches up and shows up. So um, I, I start taking off, and I'm, these roads generally are the safest roads you could ever imagine. There's not a lot of traffic. You don't have cross streets. You don't. Uh, it's it just, it just beautiful, beautiful roads. So I'm, I'm out cruising and having a good old time. Uh, I come to a stretch of road that's a, a straight deadaway stretch of road, and uh, the speed limit is, is 70 miles an hour out there. There's, there's no cross streets, there's no cars, and I'm just kind of in my own world, cruising along. And, uh, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, as I'm going along, a deer jumps out from behind a tree, jumps out from behind a tree, and I don't see the deer, I can't react to the deer, until it is right in front of me. It's not like it starts, I see it on the side, it comes over. No, it jumps out from the middle of nowhere. And deer are designed by God or by Satan not to be seen. I'm not sure, I'm not sure which. But you know, you generally can't see a deer. It well. jumps out right in front of me. I don't even have time to react. I don't know and think that I even got my brakes on. I hit this thing, I hear, I hear this sound, this thud, and the next thing I know, I'm rolling, and I'm rolling, I'm rolling, it's kinda like when you're a little kid and you're, you're, uh, you're on a hill, grassy hill, and you're rolling down the hill, you know, except about a hundred times faster. I'm rolling, and, ro- and while I'm rolling, while I'm rolling, I'm, I'm saying to myself, watch your head, watch your head, watch your head. Montana has no helmet law, so I'm saying, watch your head, Watch your head, watch your, I'm rolling, I'm rolling, I'm rolling. It does or doesn't matter the story, depending on how you interpret that. So I'm rolling and rolling and rolling. And I stop. I stand up. I, yeah. I'm good. I'm good. I, I look over, and uh, I see the bike on the side of the road. The first thing I think of is, i got to find me another bike to finish this trip. How am I? That's the first thing... <laughs> That's the first thing I think of. Now, here's some photos of that situation there. Uh, here's me right here with uh, one of my friends, Dr. Friend, Kevin. It's always good to have a doctor with you on a trip like this. Always a good idea. And then what you see right here, are that green stuff, that's the green matter right at contact where the bike struck the deer. And this is sort of a longer part. This right here is right where I struck. You can see tire and right that green matter is where the deer was struck. Now, this little black thing down here, that's my luggage. That's my luggage that came off. And I actually had to walk 20 yards back to get to my luggage. This is where I landed up, down there, beyond that, beyond that white car. If you notice, you go down here, we've got all kinds of poles on the right-hand side, on the left-hand side. Um, I went right down the center of that street, right down the center of it. Uh, this is um, what happened to the deer. He just kind of went off to the side. I'm gonna talk about this woman in just a moment. Uh, this deer kind of went right off the side and uh, that's what's left of him. He lost, or she? Cut in half, this deer. Um, I guess bikes went. Don't say, ah. <laughs> honestly, gosh. <laughs> the thing almost killed me. You're saying, ah? stay in the freaking road, stay in the woods, get off my road. I'm gonna start driving with a gun on the front of my uh, motorcycle. Hey, that's crazy, aw. There's my glasses. With my glasses, uh, uh, this, is, uh, this is my rear end right here. <laughs> Anytime you can have a rear, your rear end in the message, that's a good thing, uh, right here. And um, this is uh, what's left of the rental. That's uh, five minutes after the accident. I'm walking to the woman's car who pulled up. I later found out that this was uh, called Deer Alley. <laughs> Didn't know this, it's called Deer Alley. And if you're a hunter, you can kill seven deer every year. And the woman who you saw in the picture who pulled up and said, are you okay? And I said, um, th- I think so. I just got you know hit by a deer, or I hit the deer, whichever it was. And she said, my husband just hit one last week. I mean, I went to, when I went to the hospital, was, people all had their deer story, just all over the place. So she says, um, I'll take you to the hospital. And this was after, uh, after the, the, the policeman was there. And I was talking with him and, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, I'm, uh, I, think I'm, I think I'm fine. I don't think I should go to the hospital. And all of a sudden I realized I'm not in a position to make any decisions. So I turned to a friend of mine, Kevin, I said, I can't make any decisions right now. I realize this is not, you make every decision for me. Tell me what to do. And he said, well, you need to go to the hospital. I said, okay, good, I'll go to the hospital. So as I'm walking to the car, um, I'm thinking about all the times in my life when I've heard people talk about their, kind of miracle experience. I've heard people talk about something that they can do, that's a spiritual gift that I can't do. And oftentimes, when I hear those things, I think to myself, man, I can't do that, or I've never experienced that. In fact, I don't have many really truly miraculous things to talk about at all. And When you think about that, you can start to kind of get, feel like, feel like you're ripped off, you know? <laughs> I'm on my way to the car, and I just stopped at it. I said, God, this is nothing that I can take credit for. This is you. No more, I will never think that I deserve anything else. If you never give me any other experience, anything, that's fine, this'll do. In fact, that's the way I should always feel. It's the way we should always feel. But this was very clearly, this was, you know, not anything at all that uh, that I did. I get in the car with this woman, we're walking, and the vision thing, you know, a calling, a holy discontent just already comes up to me. I say to her, or I say, uh, "Do you, uh, do you, uh, uh, do you believe in God?" She says, "Well, well, don't we all?" I say, "No, no." And let me tell you something. There is one God. All of a sudden, I realize. Hold on, tone it down. Relax. <laughs> no one needs you getting preachy right now in this moment. Just, just. Relax, but, but see, if it's something that God really wants you to do, me to do, in your most emotionally strenuous times, you go back to that. You think about your family. You think about those things. I think people have said, um, gosh, is anything going to change? Anything going to be different as a, as a result of this? Uh, no, nothing. Absolutely nothing. See, I, I believe, for me, for me, I believe, for the most part, I'm living very close to the vision God has for me to be a part of with with family with work and everything. And genuinely speaking, or generally, when we have a near-death experience and everything changes, guess what? It's because everything needed to change. It's because we weren't living for God. It's because we weren't living according to His vision. It's because we were doing our own thing. And now everything has to reorient. If you have a near-death experience, you want to be in a place where you're you're thanking God regularly like Nehemiah does. You're aligning your life as much as you can. So when you have that... You don't change much because you take it as, okay, I'm going where I need to go, and I'm gonna still go the same general direction. So we go into the, uh, into the um, hospital, and I, and I lie down, and they start scrubbing me up and all my stuff here, and they're doing this and that, and, and one nurse uh, says, boy, you were lucky. Bad thing to say to me, really, really bad. I'm normally not one of these theologically anal people. Um, I do believe that there's some things that just happen, like you drop your pencil and it happens to go there instead of here, and God had nothing to do with it, just kind of luck where the pencil ends up. But in this situation, I, I said, no, I'm, I'm sorry, no. I'm, I'm not lucky, I'm not lucky, I'm, I'm blessed. I'm blessed, because see, when I say I'm lucky, what it means is somehow, I just, the cards fell my way and God wasn't involved. I'm telling this woman this. <laughs> and God wasn't involved. It's, it's because that it, I would maybe have some good athletic ability and was able to, like, dodge and move and all this stuff. No, 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 there was nothing. I did nothing. Zero, zero, zero. This is, this is God's goodness, period. I kind of do my whole thing. And, and I said, you know, in a situation like yours, we need to, uh, we need to take off all your clothes and, um, and uh, just look at you from inch to inch. I had all kind of interesting lines I could have said at that point, but I decided not to, decided not to say them. I had been funny enough, and I said, uh, okay. So they left. I started taking off all my clothes, and, and as I take off my clothes, my boots, my boots, the stitches are ripped out of my boots, my heels, my ankles. The, 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 the force of going down the road, that, however long it was, 67 yards, however long it was, it ripped the seams out of my boots. I noticed that for the first time, and I'm pulling off my boots. I noticed this, this, this lump on my leg, and now I'm going, oh gosh, this is not good. I've got a, I got a lump here that I haven't even noticed. What else is there on my body that I have not noticed that adrenaline is masking? So now I'm getting a little, a little scared. He comes in, uh, the doctor comes in, and he starts like, working on my toes, and he says, here's, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna give you a test. He said, I want you to remember three things. I'm gonna give you a color, purple, um, a flower, rose, and a state, Kentucky, make it easy for you, says, "Uh, what did I just say? I said, Purple Rose, Kentucky. He said, good, that's good. I'm going to ask you that again in five minutes. I'm going, oh gosh, Purple Rose, Kentucky. Purple Rose, Kentucky. (laughs) I'm thinking, of all the tests I've got straight C's on, a C does not work in this one. No C's. I need a 100 on this one. I need, I need a flying A. I need to ace this. I'm going, Purple Rose, Kentucky. Purple Rose, Indiana? Indiana. Kentucky, Purple Rose, Kentucky. I'm going, So he starts working on me, he's feeling this and that, he's doing my knees. And I I figure out later this this lump here, it was probably because I'm going down the road when that deer hit my front, it skidded, as you saw from the skids, it skidded God's perfect geometry, 300 pounds or whatever going 30 miles an hour and 1,500 pounds going 70 plus miles an hour. The meat and the skid caused me, instead of going straight off, the perfect geometry must have happened where it skidded in this air cleaner was right here thunked into my leg which is part of what propelled me in the right way so when i land i must have landed just perfectly everything at the same time just going going so i'm but i'm going oh no this is i haven't noticed this this is so he's pressing on this he's coming up he's he's coming up here he's pushing down my pelvis i said now if if i have adrenaline right now going on how do i know that i'm not feeling something that could be really hurt and he said Know, if you had a broken pelvis, you would know it. And I'm thinking, great, I'm halfway through. <laughs> halfway through, I just got half more to go. So he's coming up, he's making me stand up, and or sit up, he's pressing here. He so said, touch your you know, ears, your shoulders, and then it bends me back, and all this stuff. And he says, well, he says, uh, you're good to go. You're done. I said, really? What about this, like, I got this like little bruise I'm feeling here. He said, no, you, I think you have a probably have a cracked rib, but our... Our our equipment here isn't all that good. We probably wouldn't pick it up. And even if we did pick it up, we wouldn't tell tell you anything to do differently. So just kind of watch it. You can go home, good. Okay, thanks doctor. So so he walks out and I'm just in there with that stupid little nighty gown thingy on. And and I get up and I'm going to put on my clothes. And as I go to put on my clothes, I think of this song it has been actually on my iPod. It's a song by a guy named Chris Tomlin. And it says, uh, we stand and lift up our hands, for the joy of the Lord is our strength. We bow down and worship him now. How great, how awesome is he. I have this just moment of recognizing God in the midst of that. It was one of my sweetest times with God ever. Um, When God puts something on your heart, when you do something, the focus is Him. It's not you. And it also becomes even more passion to be about the things He's called you to, the thing of purity, the thing of building into your kids, the thing of having a church that can speak the language of people. I'm thinking to myself, we need to put a site out in Montana for these people. That's what we need to do. Uh, you, you, You just, what you are, who you are just naturally erupts comes forth in the midst of pain, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of rebuilding. God, I have many things in my life that are down. I know uh, some of the things I just talked about today um, could make me look better than I actually am. There's things in my life that are down and that are uh, in turmoil. I don't know all of them because I'm blind to them, but I do know this. I do know that you speak to those things, and I do know you can take me and through all of us through those things. And I also know that the way a vision gets done is through you. And when it gets done, the way it gets finished is by honoring you. Acquaint us right now with your goodness. Acquaint, reacquaint us right now with the with the accidents that we could have had that we didn't have, with the accidents we shouldn't have come through, or acquaint us right now with the blessings and the things that we take for granted. We still have things down. We still have things broken. But there are unique things that you provided. And we say thank you.